and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. And I hope for those of you who celebrate Christmas, you had a wonderful one. And I hope you have a great new year. Hope 2024 is a great one for you. Uh, rounding out this year with a great guest. Uh, his name is Mark Sokol, and he's the founder of Falcon Space. It's a research on anti-gravity, et cetera. And there's quite a few crossovers to the UFO world. So uh, I saw him at a so-called debate with Lawrence Krauss and Nick Pope, and uh, I was impressed by what the, the work he's doing. Luckily, he said that he would be on the show, and without further ado, even in a little Christmas Santa hat. I love it. How you doing, Mark? Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes, uh, I'm doing yeah. well. I'm actually here, here in the Falcon Space Lab. Yeah, I see that. I love the background. Uh, so yes, and uh, it was really great to hear you. Well, it was kind of disappointing in a way too. Uh, why I'm saying it's disappointing is that uh, in my opinion, uh, Krauss was so close-minded at not only of your question, but when you mentioned a couple of things he was unaware of, he just moved on and kind of arrogance, I have to say, you know, and I don't want to, this isn't a show about bashing him, but I, I really, uh, I was rather disappointed. I wouldn't really call it a debate. It was kind of like a gentleman conversation and with basically by through intimidation, I do believe that, uh, uh, Krauss was sort of running the, the board there. What do you think in, in general? Um, I think that Ethan Krauss at this point is what we call a debunking grifter. It's somebody who makes money, who makes a living, who gets his views off of debunking things. Because at this point in time, you're going to have a hard time finding somebody who, who has any credentials who would say that UFOs and aliens definitely don't exist. You'd have a very hard time finding that. Ethan Krauss was probably one of, on a very short list of people, one of the only people who was willing to get on that debate stage and make it a debate and not just a monologue. And, um, you know, yeah. Nick Pope for his, you know, part is, is always the gentleman. He tries to always be the gentleman when you see him in, in more, you know, open-minded uh, debates or conversations, he's a little bit, you know, more with, with the other guests that are with him. But uh, Ethan Krauss definitely, uh, takes the cherry on the top for, for being the most close-minded person I've ever met in this subject, especially in today's age, you know, when Congress is passing a bill to release alien bodies and UFOs, and there's, there's fights going on about how many of them are going to be released and whatnot. And he's getting onto a stage and saying they're definitely not real. And I'm a hundred percent certain of it. No scientist ever says a hundred percent. There's no such thing. In science, yeah. it's not I mean, science. That's, that's that's not real science at all. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was rather shocked, and you know, I mean, it kind of took me, uh, uh, you know, I was taken aback by uh, just how he was reacting to all of that and proclaiming, you know, one thing right after another. Basically, uh, you know, when when one of the things he said. Now, I may be totally wrong in this because I'm not a physicist in any type of way, but he says that these things can't be defying physics, uh, the, the basic physics that we know. Uh, they can't be, they have to build upon that. And to me, my thing has always been, maybe they figured out something in physics that we don't know. You know I mean? As of yet, I mean, it's physics. We don't know everything there is to know about physics, as far as I know. 
I mean, there's always going to be definitely don't. We definitely do not know everything about physics. I mean, it wasn't until a hundred years ago that we freaking figured out how the sun works. You know, through through fusion. That was with Albert Einstein equals MC square. Um, and if you go back in history of science, I don't know if your your um, your viewers are familiar with the concept of phlogiston. That was you know to explain how fire you know can. Um, re-energize iron actually it's not re-energizing it's just removing oxygen but until we figured that out that was the dogma that's what was taught that's what all the phds were were getting their uh their degrees in phlogiston theory until it was thrown out by evidence that's how science science moves forward one um one funeral at a time and we might have to wait for ethan krauss's funeral to move forward a little bit because that is such a closed-minded view on science he didn't know the difference between inertial mass and gravitational mass there was so many flaws in everything that he was saying he said that nobody ever took a picture of it on a cell phone i personally have seen cell phone images on the cell phone that it was taken many times from friends of mine of of these craft like he said so many things that were wrong honestly when i came up to ask him a question my question originally was going to be uh ethan uh how big is the rock that you live under and do you ever come up to breathe um but i, I took the more diplomatic route and started talking about the science instead and then i um and then he said that there's no serious scientists that would uh investigate this thing well i i was glad to tell him that I am actually one of them and we have a lab within driving distance. And if he wants, we'll give him a ride there right now and show him an actual anti-gravity lab within a half an hour drive from where that debate took place. Also, there is a conference that we started called APEC, the Alternative Propulsion Engineering Conference. It goes on every two weeks and uh, there's either an open mic or uh, an organized uh, presenter. We had one on the 23rd and um, then every the next two weeks we, we'd have an open mic session where anyone who's working on this stuff who's just getting into the field can come and you know exchange ideas and such um all the top physicists and engineers that are willing to talk on this subject have been at, at this apec conference it's been going on for three years now with over 200 presenters from all ranges of the um, of the scientific community from do-it-yourselfers garage hobbyists uh darpa contractors we have uh, Lockheed Martin, Skunk Works, and uh, uh, SpaceX people who have been on in, in various degrees, MIT, Oldford Colleges, um, uh, lots of NASA folk have been on and both presented and uh, talked about their work. NASA had several anti-gravity-esque research groups throughout the years in Huntsville, Alabama, and in Nashville, Tennessee's uh, um, uh, uh, organizations, and they they, they would usually run them for like a year or two. So the, the, the research never got far along, but we do have published papers from NASA on anti-gravity-esque um, uh, effects that were discovered there. So, you know, wow. there's a, a real debate as to why this wasn't uh, researched further, but um, yeah, the, there's a large community of people that are, that are researching this stuff. Uh, we obviously see these craft flying in the air doing 90 degree turns at 10,000 miles an hour, which our current physics, which is obviously wrong, can't explain. So we need new physics for that. Right. And can anybody watch these? Is this like a live stream that you had to do, do a live stream conference or is this a private conference you're talking about? 
Oh, these are live streams. So you can go to altpropulsion.com, A-L-T propulsion.com, and you can sign up for the uh, newsletter. Um, you'd get uh, an email with a link to either a Zoom link for the open mic, um, or you get a YouTube link for the um, organized discussions. And, and that would include, you know, the presenter's name, I'll give you a brief synopsis of uh, what he's presenting about. There's going to be a Q&A. We take questions from YouTube live chat. We're able to see them and, and, and ask the presenter when there's enough time. And then, uh, you know, we go on to the next presenter and then there's, um, you know, live updates from different uh, labs, including my, my own. And I'll get to that in a little bit. And um, it, it's really just a, a great way of bringing the community together um, of alternative propulsion researchers. And uh, it, this this runs the gamut anywhere from inertial propulsion, which is throwing masses around, uh, electromagnetic propulsion, like David Perez's um, uh, quantum electrodynamic drive. Uh, we have uh, electrostatic propulsion, um, which uh, the Exodus uh, co company down in Florida is working on. There's also Ivo. Uh, it's a company that recently launched, uh, they were kind of secretive about it, but they launched a satellite just recently in the last few weeks into uh, low Earth orbit with one of their thrusters on board and are trying to do a proof of concept of a uh, propellantless propulsion concept in outer space. Um, uh, uh, by the way, wow. when I'm using the term anti-gravity, that's like a colloquial term to cover anything that can move without uh, sending something out the other direction. Propellantless propulsion is really what we're talking about. I see. Okay, well, I will link that uh, down in the show notes and also in the uh, text uh, of the show itself because I want people to be able to uh, participate in that. That's great. And uh, so what uh, I'm assuming that perhaps you worked somewhere doing uh, a related work and you decided to found, you know, to... Uh, you founded this company, Falcon Space. I'm going to pull up the website on uh, on the screen here. Um, so I guess what I, what made you decide to take the leap between uh, you know what you may have been doing and this? Was it COVID? Like everything, everybody says COVID had something to do with it. But uh, uh, how um, long how long have you had this as well? So COVID was definitely a, um, a catalyst, you know, it, it helped speed things up, but the concepts and the, the, the work was actually going on before the pandemic hit. Um, so I originally had a company called Falcon Hybrid, where I would refurbish hybrid batteries. It's a company that I started myself, uh, refurbishing hybrid batteries. I built the, uh, the equipment to refurbish those batteries because the equipment didn't exist. Uh, learned a lot about electricity, wow. AC and DC, uh, basic engineering, 3D printing, all that stuff. And uh, at a certain point, I realized that these, you know, I read the book um, by, um, oh, what's his name? The Second in Command of the Pentagon, The Day After Roswell by Philip J. Corso. And that sort oh, yeah. of got me convinced that, uh, yeah, these aliens are real. The technology is real. And then I saw the the New York Times article, December 16th, 2017, um, that, that yeah. basically blew the lid off of this ATIP program from the Pentagon that's re-investigating UFOs again. And at the same time, I was also a subscriber to Gaia for, I'm sure many of your uh, viewers are familiar with Gaia.com, which is basically the Netflix for all things spiritual, yoga, aliens, disclosure, all that oh, yeah. mixed together. 
And um, th there was an episode on there from a guy called Corey Good, extremely controversial, almost, and nothing he says is uh, verifiable. But one thing he did say, and this happened right after the December 16, 2017 event, was that on that day, he was on a spaceship uh, uh, translating for raw terror air, uh, the Sphere Being Alliance, telling the, uh, the Galactic Federation that the you know, the surveillance of Earth and the uh, the great experiment that they're doing here is over. Earth has come of age. And at that point, I realized the men in black are not going to come after you anymore. You're not going to get Stan mired. It's open field for anyone who wants to investigate this stuff and, and go for it. And that has actually been my experience ever since. And um, I started, uh, you know, just just with the basics, you know, the electrogravitics, the, the lifters, um, the, the gravity capacitor concepts, you know, just started dabbling in it. And I started reaching out to other community members, people who are interested in this stuff and found more people who are, you know, on the hardware end of things, which is really what I'm after um, is the hardware, less of the theory, more of the hardware, actually run an experiment and show me something that works. Um, and it slowly built up from there. Uh, we got, we got funding from, from many different sources and I was able to close down the battery business and turn the, you know, the what what used to be a battery hybrid battery uh, refurbishment shop into a anti gravity research lab, and uh, that's where I'm in wow. right now. We have we have a room size Faraday cage right over here. I have a March generator that can um, put out a four foot lightning bolt. Um, we have extremely powerful lasers, magnets, um, all all the kind of tools you would want. Uh, in, in order to investigate anti-gravity, including many of the stuff that were used to investigate anti-gravity by uh, the United States premier laboratories in Los Alamos and uh, Sandia. Actually, the equipment right behind me over here, this uh, RF amplifier came from Sandia National Labs. Um, it was literally pulled out of their dump. It was literally pulled out of their dumpster um, and sold on eBay. And I got and, and I got two pallet-fuls of them. So we have and and. <laughs> <laughs> no, quite that's literally. That's where. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's literally where it came from. And actually, one of the uh, the the um, uh, the amplifiers that I have right under my desk over here, it's called um, uh, Space. Let me, let me read it. Actually, yeah, Space Research Instruments. <laughs> this, Jeez. That, that that that's what they uh, they they named their company uh, when they built these RF amplifiers for. Um, uh, what essentially is a space drive? Ah, interesting. Well, uh, you know, gravity is such a puzzle, isn't it? I mean, is that is this something that you think will eventually be solved? What gravity really is? Um, I think it will eventually be solved, um, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure that even my experiments will answer that question because. Um, I have one experiment going on that's behind me. I showed you some of the equipment before that um, so far, every time I explain the theory to a, a new physicist who enters the field, they say, oh, no, 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 that's, that can't work. That's wrong because of X, Y, and Z. And then I explain the experiment. Okay, this is the experiment that he proposes to try. And then, he's, then they're like this. They think for a moment. They're like, oh, that might work. And because of my theory. And they give me their whole theory as to why the experiment would work. And so far, I have like six or seven of those different theories as to why this experiment would work. So 
yeah, even if it works, there's still going to be a debate as to why it worked. But um, we're more concentrated on the how to make it better, uh, how to get to that, you know, 90 degree turn at 10,000 miles an hour and populate Mars and mine the asteroid belt. That's kind of what we're after here. Well, uh, I had someone, a guest on that uh, he was a physicist or an engineer. I can't remember exactly what what he was, but he had thought that this was uh, several years ago. I don't even remember his name right now, but that he figured out the propulsion of, you know, UAP, uh, what we used to call UFOs, which I still like to call UFOs. Um, but one of the things I do remember him saying, he says, it's like falling. It's like uh, you, you won't feel, it's like always falling with the gravity and that way they wouldn't feel the 90 degree angle. I don't know if you understand any of what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah, you're tr you're, you're trying to explain the uh, the high level concept of warp drive, where they take the paper and they fold it and they stick a pen through it, and 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 call that a wormhole or Einstein Rosen bridge and all that. Those those are theories that are extremely they're they're they're, they're completely disconnected from reality. Okay, reality is uh, wires, cables. Um, stuff you can buy on eBay and Amazon, um, connecting it together, getting measurements, programming lab view, and seeing weight loss That's or seeing thrust. That's reality. When you start talking about all these theories, theory is very cheap. And if you go to APEC, you will hear lots and lots of theory. Okay, we try to make it an engineering conference. That's why it has the word engineering in it. But there is easily a hundred or a thousand times more theory than there is uh, engineering. That's because engineering is very expensive. It's very difficult. It's time consuming. It's energy consuming. It, 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 it takes uh, multidiscipline to, uh, to learn how to fix these things. Um, I get pieces of equipment in here that I don't even know what they do, but I know that I need them. And then I have to figure out how to fix them because they don't work. Um, you, you, need a, you need to be able to attack this with an open mind autodidactly learning what it is that you need to learn in order to move the ball forward. Uh, with a theory, all you have to do is write, scribble stuff on paper. That's what we have a whiteboard for, actually. We, we have a whiteboard over here, and sometimes when, when um, these theorists come into the lab, all they do is scribble on the whiteboard. I'm like, hey, can you help me lift this piece of equipment up? We need to put it over there. And they're like, oh, oh I got to scribble this. And we snap a picture of it, and it goes onto my phone into a special folder, and it's just forgotten because – all the theory in the world will never get you there. You have to actually well, put something together and build it. Right. But but you have to have the thought first to understand where you're going. And and with that in mind, how, you know, I mean, Lawrence Krauss during that uh, so-called debate mentioned about the, the space, you know, like when the two galaxies are, are colliding uh, that we won't actually hit. And I understand that because there's so much space in between, you know, stars and, and all that. But uh, how is the thought that these things could get here from wherever they're coming from in actually, say, a short amount of time and uh, ab above uh, light travel, light speed travel? Um, okay. Well, first of all, something that's moving at the speed of light is moving instantaneously from its perspective. Okay. 
the theory of uh, relativity teaches us that as you go closer to the speed of light, time goes down to zero. So for a photon that left the sun and flies to a distant galaxy, it, in its perspective, the time to travel to get to that distant galaxy is close to zero. From the distant galaxy, looking at the photon, it will be billions of years. Um, and, and, and it's incremental. 99% of the speed of light, it would be millions of years. 99.9, .9, it will be hundreds of thousands. I know every nine that you add exponentially increases that ratio of zero to a billion, you know, zero to a billion years. Um, but as you get really close to the speed of light, your time literally drops to zero. So reaching the speed of light is all you really need. And if you reach the speed of light, you will get to Alpha Centauri in zero seconds. You would get there instantaneously, uh, quite literally. If okay. if you're literally at it, if you're at 1.0 the speed of light, if you're at 0.99999, it might take you a couple days. Um, um, with that in mind, can you actually go into the future? Um, well, theoretically, it's possible if you were to... Um, if you're able to get the mass of the craft down to zero, this is this is something that we haven't talked about yet. Science doesn't even know where mass comes from. Science does not know where inertial mass comes from. The, the reason why objects weigh anything in the first place, the reason why you can't do the 90-degree turn at 10,000 miles an hour. Oh, they'll, they'll throw out, oh, yeah, it's inertia. Newton understood that. Yeah, but Newton, until now, we still do not understand where that force actually comes from. What is stopping the matter from doing that motion? If you think about it, matter is energy, and energy is the movement of matter. So where does this inertia come from? Um, hmm. And uh, I, I came up with a pretty simple theory uh, to explain it. It's basically, um, if, you, if you look at gyro, uh, if you look at an atom, the mass is stored in the core of the atom. The electrons on the outside dictate how it interacts with other atoms and with matter and light. That's why things are different colors. My shirt is black because of the electrons, not because of the core of the atom in there. Now, um, in the core of the atom, though, dictates the weight of the atom itself. So the mass is in the protons and the neutrons. What are protons and neutrons? Basically, they're electromagnetic energy that's spun in on itself. Spinning at the speed of light, this energy is rotating around extremely quickly. Um, and it's not just rotating nicely like a gyroscope on one plane. It's, it's The axis of rotation is wobbling in many different directions simultaneously. Um, and that crazy wobble that's going on over there, the, the uh, chaotic wobbles of subatomic particles. Um, imagine if you had a gyroscope in your hand that was doing all these crazy wobbles simultaneously, and you tried to move it through space, what you'd end up doing is changing the wobbles of the subatomic of that gyroscope. The wobbles will change because you're moving it through space. The same thing happens in the sub, on a subatomic level when you take a baseball and you throw it. The subatomic particles of every atom that make up that baseball, their wobbles have just changed. And that is where inertia is stored. Now, the trick to get rid of inertia or to hide you know, the mass from the effects of inertia is to orient the subatomic uh, particle spins so that they're all oriented along long one axis, at which point you're free to move it along the plane or along the axis of rotation, just like any gyroscope that's, you know, uh, that you hold in your hand that's turning nicely. 
That's how flying saucers seem to operate. Also, they seem to wobble a bit like this. That's like a gyroscope. That's a gyroscopic motion. They also cannot do a barrel roll. They're only flying like that. In fact, many viewers who have seen flying saucers um, report them slowly changing their orientation before they shoot off in a new direction. That's because they need physical thrusters of some, some sort in order to change that mass into the new orientation. Along this orientation, they're weightless. But to change this, they need an equivalent thruster in the other direction. And well, to they, do that... Oh, go ahead. Um, Sorry. Yeah, to do that, we actually have this science paper, which is peer-reviewed and published uh, at the Joint Propulsion Conference in Colorado Springs, Colorado, AIAA peer review. This guy was working for Boeing at the time. Anti-gravity with present technology implementation and theoretical uh, foundation by Frederick Alzafon. This paper describes a process um, that's talked about in this book, uh, Dynamic Nuclear Orientation by C.D. Jeffries, which um, shows you many different ways of actually achieving this subatomic particle uh, nuclear orientation. By the way, when um, a, a Dave, the, the way this book was actually found is David's son, uh, Frederick's son, David, found this book in a used um, library, and it describes <laughs> a uh, an, an encounter with uh, a UFO um, where a an AWACS plane. One of those uh, radar Navy planes came in close contact with yep. a flying saucer and got actual data from the from the craft. Saw that it was pulsing this three megahertz pulse at two hundred uh, repetitions per second, and uh, that was supposed to be part of Project Blue Book, but it was removed at the last moment because that was empirical data. That was actionable data on the propulsion system of these craft, and it was classified because. The entire secret of UFOs and aliens has nothing to do with aliens. It has everything to do with the propulsion system. And, you know, the, 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 this, what's going on behind me, is the secret to, to UFOs and aliens. It has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, they're, they're, they, don't, they don't care about the, uh, the, the uh, people freaking out or war of the worlds or all that. What they really care about is the science. It's the propulsion system. It's the money. It's the control. And and uh, when, when so when Frederick uh, uh, read that report in this book, um, he went to a science library uh, looking for a peculiar state of matter that he he remember reading about in some place. And this book literally fell off the shelf onto the floor in front of him as he was walking through the <laughs> library, like interstellar style. Somebody came through the black hole and pushed it off the shelf. It and and it happens to be the Holy Grail. And it's the only book written on this subject since then. It's, it's published in 1963, and it references a lot of papers that are from the early 1950s, which was the heyday of research into this field. So um, just to give you an, uh, a concept of what we're doing here, nuclear magnetic resonance is what an MRI machine uses. That's the most common. That's People have the most uh, experience with that. It's at the, the megahertz range, extremely powerful magnets. Uh, when you break a bone or a cartilage or whatever, you go to the hospital, you get an MRI. Uh, it's kind of expensive. Big machine, whole room, no metal on you, okay? Um, that's exciting the entire atom to a certain resonance point and then releasing that excitation. And then the, the atom sort of goes back to its lower energy state and releases something back. 
an RF tweak chirp that the machine picks up and that makes an image out of it. That's one form of resonance. There's an, a higher level of resonance called EPR, electron paramagnetic resonance. That's where we're using the outer electron spins, not just their spins, their precession. The precession of their spin, like Earth, rotates once per day, 365 times a year, and its precession of the uh, axes happens every 25,900 or so years. Very rarely does Earth make, make a full precession. But the um, uh, an electron that's rotating around an atom at the speed of light does that billions or not, if not trillions of times a second, depending on which, uh, which bands you're looking at. And in order to get the, uh, the uh, spins um, coherent enough to actually latch onto, you have to have a magnetic field. So you start off with a magnetic field that sort of orients the uh, electron spins, and then, and then you can excite them at that exact Larmor frequency, that the precession frequency, and energize it a little bit, and then it transfers that energy to the core of the atom in the form of the uh, spin orientation. And you can slowly build up this spin orientation until, you're, until the craft essentially becomes weightless. Um, now, this happens at the microwave range, the X-band, C-band of, of microwaves. And uh, if you remember from the Roswell case, they talked about how a special radar system was being used and possibly helped down the craft. That's because these craft were emitting these microwaves, which had to do with their inertial propulsion, inertial mass cancellation system. Now, if you were to shoot something at them that was slightly off that frequency, it would interrupt it. And instead of losing weight, they'd start gaining weight. And the craft only had enough thrust to thrust maybe 1% of the weight of the craft, of the actual weight of the craft. So as soon as it, it, it lost its, you know, 99.9%, you know, weight loss, it'll come crashing down. That's how they were able to take down a craft from Zeta Reticuli or wherever it came from. They were able to take it down with just a radar gun because that's how the craft actually works. Wow. Uh, yeah, there is that theory you hear uh, quite a bit about the uh, radar situation. Um, so how would a living being be inside of a craft like that with all the alignment? Would the, wouldn't the being itself have to also align all the molecular structure to also so it doesn't become mush? Uh, that's a good question, and we're going to answer that through experiment. Um, but right now the theories sort of point to, uh, yes, they'll get anything that's inside a craft that's being oriented on just the hull would also be oriented as well. Now how living, you know, DNA replication and all that stuff will happen while you're in the craft. That's th those are, those are questions that we need to answer through experiment. Yeah. And another thing, um, you mentioned the propulsion, could the propulsion be detected by say infrared um, because you know, like the Tic Tac and other UFOs that have been detected through radar and also for, through the FLIR photography uh, have said there's no, uh, there's no heat, heat signature for propulsion of any kind. Um, so how, uh, how does that all fit in? So, uh Dynamic nuclear orientation or this this uh, study is actually the cold 
side of nuclear physics. So nuclear physics has the hot end, that's atom bombs, nuclear fission, fusion. This is the cold end. And actually, uh, many of the processes here are much better off at you know near uh, absolute zero. In fact, uh, some of the processes are used to cool um, uh, materials down to near absolute zero. So it's possible that this process would actually cool down the surface of the craft rather than heat it up. Because what we're really doing is we're removing entropy, we're removing all of this crazy chaotic energy that is what gives it inertia in the first place. We're taking away the inertia by getting rid of entropy and creating order. And that, in theory, should also uh, make things uh, lighter or uh, cooler. Also, one on another interesting point, why can't you can't why can't you punch your hand through a wall? Why can't you walk through a wall? Because the atoms in your hand, the atoms in your body, not the atoms, the electrons that spin around the atoms interact with the electrons that spin around the atoms of the wall. It's not the atoms themselves. Just like Ethan Krauss correctly stated, if if the um, Andromeda galaxy were to interact with our galaxy, almost nothing would touch. But the reason and and the Andromeda galaxy and uh, the wall over here have two things have has something in common that the atoms would be like the solar systems and the electrons are like the Oort clouds and you know go much farther out than that. So the um, the the actual interaction of atom to atom when you try to walk through a wall it, is not happening. It's the electrons that are interacting. And if you were able to orient the uh, electrons, just the electrons so that they're all oriented on one plane, you would theoretically be able to walk through a wall. And that's what we've seen with aliens actually walking through walls during their abductions. They have a special little thing, you know, on their body that, you know, makes this, uh, keeps this orientation field going and they're able to just walk through matter. Craft have seen, been seen going through the sides of, of uh, mountains like Mount Shasta in California. So, yeah. you know, these are these are all things to think about. The things that we take for granted in our daily life, like inertial mass, you know, uh, the fact that you can't walk through a wall even, you know, science needs to explain why you can't do it in order to get to the answer of how you can do it. Right. And there's so much empty space, you know, like and and then, you know, I mean, it's just amazing. I think I heard that if you took all the empty space. I forget what the earth would be uh, if you Tennis took out ball. all the empty space. But yeah, something like that, which is really quite amazing in, in general. And, and, and they, they don't even know that it would be a tennis ball. That's just the limits of instrumentation. That's the that's all that is. Yeah. Um, getting back to that book that was published in 1963, could you give out the title to that one more time, please? So it's Dynamic Nuclear Orientation by C.D. Jeffries. And okay. um, this is available online as a PDF, but the PDF is a picture of the pages. It's kind of difficult to read. Um, this book is hard enough to read even in its hard paper form. It's pretty expensive to get it like this. And as you can see here, we have many of these tabs that were put in there. This, these tabs were actually, um, I had the, uh, the head physicist of the Albany State University come down to the lab. And he, this is a physics professor who gives uh, presentations, who, who gives PhD lectures on electron paramagnetic resonance and NMR. 
And uh, he came down to the lab over here by invitation. We invited him down here and uh, asked him to help us out. And he has never ever seen this book before. He's heard of dynamic nuclear orientation in passing. He's never looked into it. Um, so he's very interested. And asked, he asked me, what can I do to help? I said, read this book and find me relevant you know, things. Because most of this stuff I don't even understand. Um, I'm slowly starting to pick some of it up, but it's, it, it's extremely uh, intense. Here we have actual um, highlighted points. So he, he came down here and stuck a bunch of tabs in the book and, and highlighted some stuff. That led us to some other papers that were, we downloaded. Um, this one I actually found uh, using a, a variation of chat GPT. Um, and uh, it talks about a, a way to use light to increase the effect using electron triplet states. But this is what real research looks like. You know, physicists that are scrolling uh, equations on whiteboards um, you know, it, it became a thing in physics after Einstein got, you know, recognized for the work that he did. And on the, most of the work that he did was scribbling on a whiteboard. So, so um, science sort of like followed after that and thought, oh, maybe we can get more, uh, you know, more Nobel prizes by scribbling on whiteboards. Um, but it turns out up until Einstein, most of the physicists were actually doing the hard work. They were doing experiments. You look at, um, uh, what was her name? Uh, the the um, uh, Madame. Uh, the, the the name uh, the, the name eludes me for a moment, but um, uh, the discoverer of uh, rad uh, radian uh, radon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think of yes. her either, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so she oh. she did the hard work. They were mashing. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, they, they were mashing uh, material apart the pit uh, mass in order to get to this tiny amount of uh, radon that they discovered. Um, and that, that was considered physics. It, nowadays, they have the, all these string theorists that think that they could just throw equations out and, and scribble them on whiteboards and uh, write uh, papers about it, and they call it physics, which is, is really not. It's just, it's, it's just theory. Uh, right, right. Um, so when it comes to um, the uh, basic down to what happened with the bill that just passed, um, originally there was in there, the, I don't know if you followed any of that, but the Schumer rounds I did. Uh, did have, you know, eminent domain in it. And that is that was mysteriously taken out. And the only reason, you know, I've said this on my show before, the only reason that would be removed is if there was something to hide. I can't understand why, if if there was nothing to hide and nothing to take in these private corporations, why on earth would they bother to even remove that? That's my question. But um, if these things do exist in private hands, uh, you mentioned Lockheed Martin, perhaps, uh, places like that, uh, that they may exist. Um, do you think that they would be able to reverse engineer them? I mean, they seem, it seems like such a complicated thing. Uh, <laughs> it's not complicated at all. Not complicated okay. at all. I've, I've, no, no, actually the equipment that I have here is some, a lot of the stuff was built before I was born. Um, and I think they, they uh, reverse engineer this back in the early fifties or 1954 is when they first uh, the alien reproduction apparently uh, first flew, and I believe it. 
um, I believe that they could have made a pretty rudimentary um, anti-gravity craft using technology made on Earth of the time. Um, the, the, the process of electron paramagnetic resonance, the Overhauser effect that was discovered in 1953, at least the papers were in 1953, so it was probably a little earlier than that. So this all came out of World War II. Um, so the, the Germans were using U-boats to, to down our stuff, and that uh, sort of pushed forward the research into radar um, or sonar and radar. And the equipment that uh, came out of World War II was what uh, pushed the, um, the discoveries of electron paramagnetic resonance and nuclear paramagnetic resonances um, into the forefront of scientific research because the equipment is now available. Um, science uh, usually progresses one new instrument at a time. Um, uh, Galileo with his telescope and uh, the, the nuclear realm with radar equipment because that's basically what you need. And um, w once they discovered all of those resonances, they had the best uh, scientists and engineers in the country on the project at the time. Country was in boom mode. They had all the resources in the world that they needed to uh, to push the science forward in the early 50s. This this happened well before we were both born, and this is um, the the technology is well on its way. We're at Falcon Space. We're proud to say we're reinventing the wheel here. This has already been discovered. So um, with that in mind, would you think that some of what people are seeing flying around as UFOs or something that is uh, that the government actually has out there flying around? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I, I know the facility in California where they're made. Uh, it's off of the I-5 in Central California. Um, I get you the, the address if you want. It's a massive facility that's shared between Northrop Grumman, uh, Lockheed Martin, and Boeing. And um, a lot of the people that work there don't even know what they're doing because it's so compartmentalized. But um, yeah, that's where they build the TR-3B, the Flying Triangle, and, and similar craft. Um, my nephew saw one of them flying into McGuire Air Force Base just a couple months ago. I mean, these craft are, are totally, a lot of them are, are ours. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Tic Tac was ours, but not ours as in the military. It's ours as in human made, but it's a, um, it, it's, there was a split in civilization. There was a, a breakaway civilization in the 50s uh, when this technology was discovered because the military industrial complex kept the lid on it. It wasn't government. And uh, because they were doing that, they started communicating with aliens and making deals with extraterrestrials, trading with them, uh, fighting wars for them. If you believe some of the stuff from Corey Good and, and friends. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it's really crazy what's been going on you know, without our knowledge and without government oversight, which is why the Schumer Rounds Amendment, um, the, the people who, um, you know, Schumer and Rounds and, and, and all the others, Tim Burchette, all those uh, congressmen and senators were so pissed off because they should be in charge of these things, but they're not. It's the military industrial complex. And I don't think a president has had any control over this since Eisenhower. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not so much sure what I believe about some of the things that Corey Good has come out with over the years. I, you know, I personally, that's just my own personal opinion. Uh, I'm not really sure, but uh, the fact that uh, they would have this technology or any type of technology like this and keep it under the lid 
I think is pretty would be pretty amazing, um, especially, um, you know, it seems like you'd hear more like deathbed confessions when people have nothing to lose. Yeah, you, know? you we hear a lot of those. We do hear a lot of those. Uh, Boyd Bushman had a deathbed confession. Um, the, Philip J. Corso had a deathbed confession in the form of an entire book. Um, there's lots of deathbed confessions that have come out, but the compartmentalization uh, of these projects uh, makes it such that there's very few people who understand the science on a deep enough level to to truly, you know, piece it all together. I, I have spoken to a high level um, uh, army official who who worked for the uh, army lab uh, research uh, group. And um, I, I asked him about the Alzafon experiment. I was actually going to ask him in front of an entire audience and they cut me off. So then I went backstage and asked him about it. And he said that, yes, they actually ran that experiment back in the 80s and the results are classified. So um, it, when can you explain that a little? Yeah, can you explain oh, that, 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 that a little that, more? That, that's the experiment that I'm running back here. Oh, I see. So, uh -huh. Yeah, they're, they're, they're telling me that the results of this experiment have been classified. So um, mm -hmm. we're running this experiment live uh, on air, and we um, we try to do it live on air. It's pretty. Sometimes it takes a pretty long time to uh, to get to get it uh, set up and running. But um, we've seen up to eighteen or seventeen point eight percent weight loss on it, and um, it really comes down to how well you can orient the subatomic particles. And there's different tricks and um, ways to uh, up that number, but. We're, we're, we're doing our best, and uh, if anyone out there is an NMR or an EPR expert and wants to get their hands dirty, definitely reach out to us, you know, uh, falconspace.org or marketfalconspace.org. You can reach out and uh, come down and help us out. We'd, we'd be glad to have you on the team. Well, you know, when you talk about weight loss, isn't any weight loss a major thing? Like, isn't that a, on a major way to some type of development of of something like uh, energy, you know, uh, you know, depending on how much energy it takes to have this weight loss, right? Yeah, yeah. Whether, um, so one thing to consider is if you are an orienting subatomic particles like this and making something weightless, and then let's say you were to shoot it up into outer space, and then it comes falling down, and there's all that heat and energy and stuff. Free energy device, not exactly. What you're actually getting the energy from is you moved Earth's orbit. Hmm. So maybe it's free energy in a sense that, yeah, you're taking it out of the nature, but you're actually moving Earth's orbit by getting that free energy. Now, that might be useful to some extent if we can do this on a large enough scale. Maybe we can uh, you know, reverse some of the effects of global warming, like pulling Earth into a farther orbit from the sun. But um, yeah, a, a bottom line is I, I am not a believer in free energy or uh, the free energy devices that are out there. And uh, people that come down to the lab here and are hoping to build a free energy device have been sorely disappointed because I, I, I'm a firm believer in PSENG, my local utility, and uh, they've provided me with 208 volts, three-phase electricity, um, and, and, and they've been very good to me. We have a this little box up here is actually something to clean up the sine wave. Um, and I'm not worried about power at all. We're, we're looking at ways to spend energy and to convert it into uh, uh, some form of usable thrust without shooting anything else out the back. That's, that's my main concern. And uh, mm -hmm. um, 
we have given thought to what we'd use as a power supply. Um, I'm eyeing Toyota and their Toyota Mirai with uh, hydrogen fuel cells. Um, because when you combine hydrogen and oxygen, you get water as a byproduct plus electricity. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you break down in outer space, water is a pretty good thing to have. Yeah, I guess so. What about uh, Tesla's work? How do you, how does, does any of that fit into what you do? Uh, you mean Nikola Tesla or the company Tesla? Yes. No, Nikola. Um, Nikola Tesla. Now, Nikola Tesla famously said that uh, to understand the mirror series of the universe, you have to look at resonance and frequency. And I totally agree. Mm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I mean, uh, Tesla Tesla is right here. By the way, we are in Hawthorne, New Jersey, which is the um, New Jersey is like the hometown of Tesla and uh, Edison. Uh, this is where they. This is where the birth of the um, uh, of the electronic age came from. In fact, my my cell phone number's area code is two o one. That's the number one area code in the world. Uh, Washington wow. D.C. has two o two. That's the second. Um, that's because wow. Bell Labs started right here in New Jersey, and they gave this area the local area, the, the 201 area code. So we're, we're very proud of that. Um, also, uh, SpaceX is located in Hawthorne, California. They're building rockets. We're in Hawthorne, New Jersey, building warp drives or anti-gravity. <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned uh, earlier the uh, December 2000, uh, 16th, 2017, you know, article that came out in the New York Times. That kind of changed... Uh, a lot of scientists' views on looking into this topic. Um, do you think that uh, that this will kind of continue to snowball uh, to the point where we're going to find out more information of what the government has known um, over these uh, many years? Uh, we still don't know what uh, the government knows about the JFK assassination, um, and. That, so I, I don't know that we'll ever truly know what the government knows, but I, I'll tell you this much. There's no way in hell that military industrial complex or the government will ever come forward and give you the, the secret sauce to how flying saucers operate or even their own craft that they build operate. There's no way in hell that would ever happen. Um, the only way it will happen is the only way we'd find out is through researchers like myself and others who are willing to uh, do the hard work, you know, uh, bring bring out their soldering irons and fix uh, uh, 30, 40 year old equipment and uh, get this stuff running again and, and figure it out and open source it. That's the only way we'll truly know. Have you uh, had any ridicule for going down this road from outside scientists? Or, I mean, a lot of times I think ridicule has to do with people's fears and things like that, you know, um, have, are you accepted in your work? Um, I mean, I don't care about being accepted. All I care about is the experiment. So, um, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not really sure whether they accept me or not. Um, I, I, I'm not in this to write science papers and get noble, you know, noble science awards or whatever. I, I'm in this to actually build a craft. So, um, you know, th th this, oh, wow. th for me, okay. this is, yeah. th this isn't, a, this isn't a, an academic endeavor here. This is, we're literally trying to build a craft. 
Um, and you can see that's part of our, that's part of my logo over here is actual a, a flying saucer. We have saucer shaped craft. We have a spin lathe um, on the other side of the shop where we, where we actually uh, form metal into the shape of different saucers. Uh, the reason why you'd want the saucer, uh, getting back to this, this paper, a saucer shape is two parabolic antennas attached to each other. And a parabolic antenna is the perfect um, uh, resonate, uh, uh, the perfect uh, uh, reflector for uh, microwave waves. Like that's what you have on that. That's what a dish antenna is. That's that. That's what you have on your roof when you're trying to connect with uh, with satellites. It's a parabolic antenna. That's what you have inside of a telescope. These 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 parabolas, two of them, uh, one on top of each other. They're perfect reflectors of microwave waves, and um, that that's what you'd want inside of a craft. Uh, and and what we're actually doing is we have two of them: a saucer within a saucer, sort of like the the uh, um, Russian doll sets. And uh, the space mm. in between oh, is yeah. where we're putting the we're putting the microwave energy, and that's uh, that's where we hope the magic's going to happen. Uh, you know, some people have said that they've seen, you know, uh, like rotating components inside or on the outside of a saucer-shaped craft. Uh, you know, like lights that are, uh, you know, like a whole band of it rotating in one way or another, or even you know, counter to counter rotation. Um, and we're just about out of time right here, but would that be any possibility of, uh, you know, propulsion in some type of way? Um, and what uh, you're yeah, at? yeah, that 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 is the possibility of uh, ro uh, counter rotating static fields. Um, there, so there's a lot of ways to achieve dynamic nuclear polarization. Uh, one of them is counter rotating fields, very cold um, um, fields with magnet. Very cold object with a, mag a very strong magnetic field can uh, bring about the same effect. There's many different ways to achieve it. And uh, counter-rotating uh, fields is one of them. It's possibly also part of the uh, propulsion system. Um, we could speculate from today till tomorrow, but until I uh, run an experiment and actually try something like that, I wouldn't know for certain. But I can't tell you this much. We have ran ex uh, a run of experiments recently with rotating magnetic fields. Um, and we didn't see any positive results. We ran, we ran it in a very professional matter, um, very sensitive equipment that was professionally built here at the lab on our CNC machine, and uh, we did not see anything other than air currents uh, with just rotating magnetic fields, but they weren't counter-rotating. I didn't get to that level yet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, I really wish you all the best in your research and i hope to be seeing you in the news someday and uh thanks again and so falcon space i will have everything uh linked um in in this show and again i appreciate it you take care live long and prosper all right yeah okay everyone we'll be back next week thank you so much for watching and listening and remember to keep your eyes to the sky mm -hmm.